Hi, everybody. Ben here. And Matt. Uh, we're about to deliver to you episode 20 of The People. We've been doing this show for like a year and a half now, and we've really been enjoying doing the show and talking to the people on each episode. And we've noticed that you all uh, really seem to be listening to the show, which is which is great. And there's a lot of you out there that have uh, subscribed and rated and reviewed us on iTunes, and we really appreciate that. Um, and so we're asking that if you haven't done those things, uh, it, it would really help us out if you just open up iTunes, find us by searching for the People Radio, hit that subscribe button, uh, hit some amount of stars, hopefully five or whatever you think, um, and then leave us a review if you have the time. And also just share the show, like whether uh, on social media or just uh, with your friends. It's uh, If you're enjoying it, let somebody know. And also, uh, do get in touch if you've got something you want to talk about on the show or if you have comments you want to uh, leave us with, like uh, needs more cowbell or whatever, uh, get in touch and we'll, we'll do our best to get more cowbell or whatever. And either way, thank you very much for listening. If you have, and if it's your first time, welcome to the show. And here it is. Welcome to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on K-Chunk, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Like a broken record, magically repaired. Our guests today are Stacy Allen and Sarah Williams. I mean, that's the thing about Los Angeles that everyone says that is really true. It's like you, if you show up and expect it to give you everything, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you show up and you sort of look and you ask questions and you talk to people, it's a very social. So I think it is it is focused on education. But I think if you cut through that, it's also focused on conversation and, and dialogue. The Women's Center is has become sort of this kind of loose collaboration of Los Angeles-based women, and we're dedicated to sort of exploring and celebrating and um, looking at women's artistic practices, mostly here in LA, um, and creative practices in general, and kind of challenging what creative work can be and what that can mean. Stacy Allen is the co-founder and executive editor of East of Borneo, an online magazine of contemporary art and its history as considered from Los Angeles. Sarah Williams is the co-founder and managing director of the Women's Center for Creative Work. She is also the co-founder with Andrew Berardini of the Art Book Review and currently works as a producer at For Your Art. You can listen to The People on the live stream at kchungradio.org, that's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org, or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We are hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. There you can find out more about the show. Before we get into our conversation with Stacey Allen and Sarah Williams, we're going to listen to a new installment of Notes from the People. Uh, this is an ongoing project where we invite the people, past, present, and future, to self-produce a short segment on a topic of their choosing. This episode, we'll hear Brian Joseph Davis read an excerpt from his book, The Consumed Guide, which is available from Insert Blanc Press. A genuine rock band caterwauling tunefully about things that matter. Sort of indie demo album. Sort of major, sort of debut. A happy do ironic to credibly sappy payan. 
a heroin album, a jam band for middle-aged neurotics who gather where most of their kind gather, their living rooms. Sorry, punk, funk, gone, pop, jazz, all palm, flash, male posturing, and sentimentality. This is now the worst band in the world. All shallow, all pure as a result, all the street credibility of a don't walk sign, all purpose synthesizers, all too human guitarist. Amateur anarcho-humanist, ambient post-dance snoozemeister, American dumb, American post-rock, cough-cough, hack-hack, movement, patooey-patooey, ampli clarification. Big every hair in place production. Bitch, 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 bloat, 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 bland out, bloke like croak, burlesque melodrama, blur or Amy man, blur oasis or Amy man, bored gang of four, boring rehab, Brian Eno sponsored, bright and shiny as a new cliche, brutal guitar machine thousands of lonely adolescent cowards have heard in their heads. Disgusting, because it's heartfelt. Diverting placebos, dock this a notch for incipient pretensions and general meaninglessness, docked a notch for clothes sense, docked a notch for their taste in personas, docked a notch for time, 2858. Dying in stereo, nothing left to say. Earnest post-rock tripe, electric roar as acne remedy, emailed in beats, emotional incompetence out of their depth, enough electronic marginal distinction to feed a cold town for a month, marred by a kind of cute funkiness, masters of unreality. Grade C blue oyster called moves, grandiose electronic joke, Gregorian fog, grooves with the easy swinging elite rock sound of California's pop aristocrats, gross god pop, guitar hero costume drama, guitar nicks, gynophobic rage. I guess I turn in my free grand funk button. Pipes of pan my patootie. Political chamber music, polyurethane disco, pop medievalism equals pop exoticism, and both are the worst for it. Pseudo-historical middle-brow muddle, puffs of tune and vapor trails of feeling, pure dance peak ideology, still finding naive new truths and disillusioned hardcore truisms, stingy with their famous killer riffs, stooges for airports, stop the violence in hip-hop, but make an exception if these guys will shoot the piano player. These cheesy media sluts want to grow musically. These guys are not joking ever. These guys combine the worst of the sparks with the worst of the circle jerks. These hateful little twerps are sensitive souls. They can't play their influences. They condescend to American culture as much as American counterculture condescends to them. Lullabies are universal. Crib death needn't be. Liberated twaddle. Lyrics and poster are included. Kiss for college kids. Strictly for the dimwits liberation front. Strong professional commitment, studied vulgarity, studio obscuritism as street credibility, studious detachment, stupid cover versions of heavy metal orthodoxy, suave and synthetic, brilliant but false, sub-functional dance music, suggested parental advisory, features nine-track bonus CD containing ambient remixes, super catchy fluke fashion played at pandering, sure beats sexual exploitation as an artistic specialty, surges into something resembling life, Swelling Springsteen come Lizzie pseudo-climaxes. Synthesized pseudo-Rathskeller. Clink and chatter synthetic funk rhythms make me laugh out loud. Terrified high school boys can call them their own. Test one's faith in democracy itself. That's the problem with art rockers. They don't know much about art. This music belongs on an aircraft carrier. This record brings its cliches to life. Three white jerk-offs and their crazed producer, tiny banjo fills, grand guitar solos, solo acoustic, nuclear holocaust, tumescent ache, tired bohemian fantasy, transient punk-style agitprop with announcements, travelogue techno, truly dubious, truly repulsive music imposes the most stringent of aesthetic standards, tunelessly hooky allure, tuneless, typical piece of cock-rock nookie-hating, typically ironic, optimistic futurism.
What intelligence must have gone into this album? What craft? What personal suffering? What tax-deductible business expenditure? What jerks melody inflicts on us? What's most depressing about them is that their success makes sense. Most overrated group this side of the Moody Blues. The most overrated, underrated group in America. I told my diary they reminded me of the swans. I'm missing something. C minus. Now let's get into our conversation with our guests, Stacey Allen and Sarah Williams. Stacey Allen and Sarah Williams, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome guys. Hi. Happy to be here. So Stacey Allen, maybe you could start us off by just describing East of Borneo, what it is in your involvement. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So um, East of Borneo is an online magazine of contemporary art and its history as considered from Los Angeles. Um, we're also a book imprint. So. I co-founded that about four years ago at CalArts with Thomas Lawson, who's an artist and, um, and a writer. And um, since then, we've been um, commissioning new writing on the history of art as seen from the West Coast. We've also been republishing material that's out of print or hard to find through a series that we call Second Life. And um, in addition to all of this, we, because we're online, we're able to invite our readers to add additional sort of images, videos, texts, links that kind of help to complete the story. So how long has East of Borneo been around and kind of where did it come from? Oh, where it came from. Uh, well, we, we launched in 2010. Um, prior to East of Borneo, I was working still with Tom Lawson on a journal called After All, which was a, um, a collaboration between California Institute of the Arts and Central St. Martin's in London. And it was a print journal that came out three times per year and was focused on contemporary art with a, an emphasis on, a, it had more of a curatorial approach. So it would um, usually take the form of selecting four artists and commissioning two to three essays on each um, to sort of go deep into their practice. So. We had been doing that for a few years, and our, you know, our, our editorial ambitions sort of, kind of started to um, diverge from those in London. And um, Tom and I started thinking about what we would do if we were going to do something different. Um, and the the interest for us was um, one doing something that focused more on Los Angeles and West Coast history because it, it seems that this is sort of a there are some gaps there in terms of how the history of American art has been told, and it's largely been focused on New York and the sort of influences coming from Europe. And I think out in Los Angeles and on the West Coast, things developed a little differently. And it was largely without any critical attention, so it kind of allowed for a lot of interesting experimentation, and um, people could sort of get away with doing things without that sort of pressure of like fear of failure and having it be very visible. Um, I mean, this is a story that's been told a lot, and it was told. Um, in a large way through the Getty Specific Standard Time Initiative um, several years back. So I was I was going to ask that, yeah, four years ago, I feel like there was almost, there was very, very little attention on Los Angeles and that in the past few years, and I think thanks to like projects like East of Borneo and PST, that there's been this kind of like uh, more national or, or global attention on Los Angeles. And do you feel like that's, like how has that changed and grown in the past four years? Like are you seeing different kinds of attention or like different kinds of interest? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it, it did seem like it hit sort of critical mass. I mean, I think the I think the issue is really that at the time, you know, a few years ago, it really felt that there was this kind of untapped history that needed to be told and that needed to be told in a also in a way that sort of got around the predominant voices 
that generally sort of like canonize these things. So I think that out in Los Angeles, it felt that all of these amazing things had happened. There was work sitting in people's closets. There were, you know, conversations with teachers who were around for certain things that, you know, somehow hadn't made it into the books. I mean, when I moved out here from New York, which was in 2007, um, to work on After All, it was kind of mind-blowing. Like, I had been, you know, I had gone to art school in Chicago. I had done a graduate degree at Bard in the sort of curatorial program and sort of, I don't know, I think you come out feeling like you've got a pretty good handle on at least art since 1960. And then I moved out here and it was clear, like, what these giant gaps were in my understanding of how, yeah, yeah. how certain things came to be and what the influences were. So I think people are still interested, but yeah, definitely it's... Because it feels out here that there's maybe like a different structure. And I'm from here and grew up here and did all my education out here. So I feel like I'm obviously very uh, California sided mm-hmm. in sort of my approach to things. But uh, that out here, like the the sort of like power dynamics of art history and of the art world are, are different that like in on the East Coast, maybe it's more sort of like gallery and historian and market driven and out here that it becomes a lot about education and relationships between teachers and students with all the art schools. I don't know. Do you think that's... that that's a perception that I feel is true? And that's been sort of, you know, written about a good bit. I do think there's more of a you sort of have to have your ear to the ground and kind of know mm-hmm know who to talk to and know how to find I mean that's the thing about Los Angeles that everyone says that is really true it's like you if you show up and expect it to give you everything you're going to be really disappointed but if you show up and you sort of look and you ask questions and you talk to people it's a very social so I think it is it is focused on education but I think if you cut through that it's also focused on conversation and and dialogue as opposed to kind of just study and you know, like knowing the names you're supposed to know. It's kind of, in a way, it's less clear here who you are supposed to name drop. The interview I read with you, uh, you described the scene as perversely casual. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That was my first impression, and that's what I love about it. I mean, it's funny, too, because sometimes I, I feel like it's really easy to drift into, like, regional boosterism also, which I think is the, that's the kind of flip side of all this kind of new interest in, Los Angeles is people, yeah, getting very rah-rah about it. And I'm definitely, you know, guilty of that in a lot of ways. But I think um, there's a way that you can be. So one thing with East of Borneo in terms of how we started it and what we wanted to do with it, there there was an interest in being focused on the region without being so regionally specific that we were either excluding people or sort of creating just replicating certain power dynamics you know what I mean where it's like we're we're the voice of LA now like this is what artists are doing in LA now I think um I mean you all know both of you know Tom and myself so you know how counter that would be to our personalities (laughs) other people who don't know us wouldn't know that as well but um I think um there was an interest in trying to find a way to just open it up and say like you know maybe here's what I'm interested in but I'm just being honest that this is just my Stacey Allen my interest and like what is yours and what am I missing and can you tell me about it um yeah no and I mean is that something that feels again having not spent a lot of time outside like is that something that feels LA specific because that feels super when you say that I'm like yeah that's like what LA like it's I feel like that's I mean not to throw it in yet but like the art book of you like I feel like that's a lot of like do you want to talk about this book like you artist who also makes books like that that's authority enough to like talk about these things and have your opinions kind of interjected in a public way and valued and yeah I mean I, I yeah I think 
I think so. I think it's, and that might be also the education focus that it seems much more about like what you can learn from someone or what you can learn about what you can learn about where they're coming from. Yeah. I mean, the I kind of had drifted away from what I was going to say about regionalism, which was really that even though we're focused on Los Angeles, there's a there's a way in which like there are ideas that have traveled in and out of it and that that's a more interesting thing to think about than simply what happens here and how it serves an art market and totally. how it, you know, so that I mean, it's it's also the sort of nice thing about taking a more historical like if you take the long view, you don't have to be so timely and focused on what has the most power now, but you can think more about like maybe what's floating around that might be um, an influence on what's happening now, yeah. but that hasn't fully been realized yet. How has this like thing come to be that is so multifaceted? And yeah. Thin? Yeah. Yeah. And in that, in that same interview, uh, that I referenced before. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just just read it. Yeah. Um, but you, you talked about the idea of LA being. Someone was asking you like where where East of Borneo is like in the world. It's not right. just LA, and the way you described it, you named some cities, you know, and then you described it as the idea of LA being other places, like being in Berlin. And I thought that was really interesting. But could you like tell me what that meant? I, mean, I think I have an idea, but <laughs> I'll try. Um, well, we it. We ha strangely, we have a really, well, not strangely, we have a large readership in Los Angeles, but in addition, like New York, Berlin, I heard we're really big in France. I mean, there's yeah. this, there's this kind of, there's, and it's, so it's not so much that we're in a way that, you know, it's these cities in dialogue. And I think that um, if you look at the history, yeah, if you look at the history of LA, it's like it was German exiles coming here, like Bertolt Brecht and Galka Shire, who built this huge collection of um, artwork that's now at the Norton Simon and you know and and if you think about like France it's like we, we published a piece on um, how Eve Klein and Ed Keenholz had this kind of weird friendship and the sort of conversation that was happening and how they influenced each other there's I think there's and yeah I mean there's always the idea of like Hollywood and movie star you know all these things that we know aren't really quite what's going on but um but yeah i think the idea i think the idea of los angeles is large and i think within an art context part of that has to do with f i mean freedom it's like a it's the west it's like a you know you're hitting the edge of something and you're sort of free to do it without um so many other things kind of weighing on it or yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, yeah, and I feel I feel like a lot of those I mean those kind of like far out west you know free projects a lot of like strands kind of get lost, and just to be unearthed in a way I feel like East of Borneo does a job of like, like you said earlier filling in gaps that have like like researching and finding things that maybe have gotten forgotten about and it's like in that way kind of an art archaeological project a little bit yeah I mean that I think I think that you know when well here's the thing about our editorial process um with and i'll compare and contrast to after all which is i don't even know how familiar anyone will be with after all but it was it was in los angeles for a good number of years so the you know the difference would be with that it would be me and a bunch of a bunch of very smart guys in a room talking about who the most important people were like who were the most important artists and like the writing about them was sort of, I mean, in a way came after. It wasn't so much about like, you know, it was really about like, who who do we need to cover 
and then like how do we cover it with I think with Easter Borneo it's definitely for us it's more writer driven it's you know Tom or I will have a conversation I'll call up a writer that I think is really smart and has interesting ideas and then I'll you know we'll talk about what they're thinking about and then see if it fits so it's less it's it's a lot less mapped out which feels very true to how you might approach a project about Los Angeles. It's um, it's a little bit of that kind of one thing leads to another idea. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely, a lot of in terms of the archaeology, strangely, a lot of these things seem to be inspired by like physical places. Like um, Kate Wolf, who's a fantastic writer um, who's living here in Los Angeles. She was, I think, house sitting in Venice, and realized that the house she was in, which was belonged to to an artist, she, that the house she was in used to be the home of this guy. Bob Alexander, this interesting poet and artist who was uh, a beat generation. He was connected to Wallace Berman and Semina and that kind of crowd. But he um, he started this non-denominational temple of man. <laughs> and it was really it was um, it, following sort of on the Wallace Berman, like art is love is God thing. I hope I'm quoting that right. Um, but it was, you know, he would perform marriage rites on roller skates on the boardwalk or in hot tubs and I mean, it, it wasn't just those are the easy things to kind of talk about because they're so funny. But um, it was a really it was a really interesting project and totally couldn't feel more Venice at that time in a way. So um, that was inspired by a place. And then similarly, Jonathan Griffin wrote recently about this Beverly Hills bungalow that used to be for only six months in 1948 or 49. It was like an outpost for surrealist art from Europe. So there were shows by like. I mean, Man Ray, which isn't that surprising, but I think there was Duchamp and Ernst and other like it was this. And what was funny about it, too, was that I guess I guess he had promised um, he had promised to sell 10 percent of the shows. So this is how William Copley ended up building this incredibly impressive collection of surrealist art and it was it was particularly because he had a gallery in los angeles (laughs) where there was nobody else to buy the work and yeah um, that was a great i read that piece that was a great that was a really i feel like a perfect example of what east of borneo can really do really has been doing wonderfully is like finding and i guess that came so that came about coincidentally almost well it was i mean i don't i actually don't recall how jonathan he was thinking about copley i mean copley was a artist he was a painter in his own right but he was doing this gallery you know sort of before he started making work which is funny too because i think he formed these friendships and then like he then he went to paris and he you know it's like he he moved on with his sort of girlfriend and moved to paris and started making art and um, I don't remember how Jonathan came across it, but um, it was great. Yeah, and we had um, went to the Archives of American Art. I contacted them, and there were all of these um, in in Copley's papers installation shots of all of these crazy, like amazing works in this like li- you know like living room setting in Beverly Hills. It was, yeah, it's really so that yeah. I think that's something we can do sort of well is do a little bit of digging and then present things that haven't been considered or seen before, and then you start to think about. Oh, yeah, surrealism actually was kind of like, obviously, like, you know, there's a Hollywood connection there, too. But you start to think about, I don't know, someone like Robert Heineken or whatever. You know, you can see you can see a little bit how things travel, mm-hmm. how these ideas may be that, yeah, sort of carried through. Our name, actually, I, I, you guys probably know this story, but maybe you don't. No, tell us the, the Joseph Ca- Campbell thing? The Joseph Cornell. That's what yeah. I meant. I know. <laughs> I hear you. Um, the, when that, so the name, it, Easter Borneo was a Hollywood film from the 30s, and Joseph Cornell 
used it to create Rose Hobart, which is this short, I think it's a nine minute like sort of film, but um, he cut out a lot of the, he basically edited it so that it primarily featured the actress Rose Hobart, who he was infatuated with. And when this was shown, Dolly was in the audience and I guess he stood up and sort of screamed at Cornell because he had stolen the idea from his mind. Of course. So yeah. that was, I, and you can kind of completely just envision how that And it's a beautiful film. It's like a lot of scenes from, or it's clips basically. Yeah. It's a montage and they're like, uh, they're tinted, yeah, they're, they're tinted in colors and, and they're in reverse and slow motion yeah. and stuff. And I don't think you can get it easily. It's on, well. Is it? It's online. Oh, okay. I mean, who knows if it should be there? It's in MoMA's collection. But if you look, you'll find it. Get it online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we hit the break, which is a little bit, let's talk about uh, the stuff that East of Borneo does out in the world. Because you guys do interesting stuff. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, we try to. It's a lot to sit behind a computer all day and you just hope people are looking at what you're doing. Um, yeah, we do events, and that, is, and that is exactly that. It's about sort of connecting with the community here. Um, we, did an, we did an exhibition. Well, we've done a few exhibitions, screenings, that kind of thing. Last year, we did a, a show called the Summer Issues Cooperative that I was kind of into that was this kind of generosity-based idea of I reached out to a lot of other publishers who produce print magazines. So it was people like Bomb and um, I think we worked with Material here, Extra, right, yeah. um, LA Review of Books, which has a print version, and so we stood in After All and others. And so I and, and insert blank press and insert know? blank press exactly. <laughs> and par- we had some parrot. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to. It's been a little while, but um, basically, having done a print magazine, I also knew that you often have a closet full of things, and um, you might like to sort of do a little summer cleaning. So I reached out to publishers and. We had them send copies of current and past issues to green exhibitions in Culver City. And we built these newsstands and we made it this sort of three-week pop-up newsstand where you could come in and take anything you like. Um, and you could similarly like leave things behind. So if you had art magazines or books that you wanted to give, you could put those on the shelf. So it sort of like expanded and contracted as the time went on. And it was... Um, I was really happy with that because I thought it spoke a little bit to sort of like how ideas circulate and also in a way that was free of commerce, I guess. Um, and then at the end of the show, since we had these these like empty plywood newsstands, we flipped them over, we made tables, and we hosted our first Wikipedia edit-a-thon, um, which is a series we're still doing a, you know, a year later, and that's been really picking up steam and something I've been excited about um, because it ties to East of Borneo's mission very closely. It's focused on getting people together um, to teach them how to use Wikipedia, how to edit, and to build pages and try to make a more complete online history of art as seen from the West Coast. So that, yeah, that's still happening. And we do those at places like MOCA in Los Angeles, the Museum of Contemporary Art. We've done one at the Mac Center, which is the old um, RM Schindler House in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We just finished one at the Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena. What prompted that starting? Were you like researching stuff? You were looking, you were, the articles were about on East of Borneo, noticing that there was a lot of that similar information missing? Yeah, or? I probably told, well, it, was, it wasn't quite that. It was, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in like open access. I'm, op- I'm interested in sort of open culture, partly because I'm running an online magazine that's trying to invite people to add images and videos and that kind of thing. So I, I've, you know, I've sort of had an interest in Wikipedia and, um, but I did actually notice that OSCO, 
the Chicano Performance Collective yeah, yeah. OSCO, which had a, a retrospective at LACMA as part of the Pacific Standard Time. Um, they have a really great Wikipedia page, and we were getting a lot of site traffic from Wikipedia. And it uh, had me thinking a little bit about, about how, well, two things. One is that Pacific Standard Time was amazing. It, it, it funded and it created all of this new scholarship. But those things were all going into catalogs, and those mm -hmm. catalogs were going onto shelves, and we were getting more right. and more distant yeah. from it as years went on. So, like, you and I remember those shows, but in a few years, new people like they Whoa, weren't here. To yeah. yeah. So um, I had I had long been, and this is something that we were working on through Second Life: this idea of getting permission to republish essays um, online so that people would see them, basically. Um, and this idea that if things are online and they're not behind a paywall, that you know we can take scholarly material and put it online and make it more accessible. So the Wikipedia project was partly that I realized that it's a place that a lot of people do research. Um, it's a great place to start your research. It's a horrible place to stop your research. Yeah. But, but, yeah. I was, but I was encouraged to see that people were starting to look into art topics and it would, might bring them to East of Borneo or bring them to another, another reference cited on Wikipedia that was a more in-depth kind of cool look. And we were publishing a lot of the first, um, maybe so, the first writing on some of these people um, because we had come up around the same time as Pacific Standard Time. And there were a lot of historians that I was working with who were also working on catalog essays and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's been a great, yeah, it's been a really good project. Excellent. So we're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Sarah about the Women's Center.
Welcome back to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. We just listened to the song Beat by Emily Lacey from her album Rise. That was released in 2012. And you can find more of her music at emilylacey.bandcamp.com. You can listen to The People on the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. And remember, we're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. So go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more. So, Sarah, didn't Emily Lacey perform at the Intergenerational Women's Dinner back in May? Yeah, that was um, one of her songs, and she... She was really great. Um, she did a sing-along with us at the intergenerational dinner that we held um, in Angel Chen's backyard this last May. And that's been the third. I feel like we've, hopefully you've been getting the invites to them, but that's been the uh, third in our in our series of dinners and sort of like the signature event of Women's Center for Creative Work. I think it's a it's just a really great series, which is, you know, I wanted to talk to you specifically about the Women's Center. So maybe, um, maybe you could start just talking a little bit about how that was founded and what you guys have been doing so far? Totally. It actually, I mean, for people who don't know, the Women's Center is has become sort of this kind of loose collaboration of Los Angeles-based women, and we're dedicated to sort of exploring and celebrating and um, looking at women's artistic practices, mostly here in L.A., um, and creative practices in general and kind of challenging what creative work can be and what that can mean. Um, and we started, my collaborators, uh, Kate Johnston and Katie Bockler, who I met, I met Katie at grad school, and then Katie and Kate knew each other from, from undergrad, and uh, I had been working with Katie on a project that we wanted to do out in the desert that was going to be like sort of this complete and literal homemaking, we want to get this shack out there and like do it, oh, redo it from top to bottom and like learn how to do everything from roof to like make plates and like have everything, everything kind of handmade that way. But, um, very dinner party. Yes. Very, yes, totally. very Judy Chicago. Yes. Uh, obviously an influence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that didn't end up working out, but Kate and her had been talking about something, some other projects that like really fed into us all doing this women's dinner together. And I mean, when we started, we anticipated really just being sort of a fun one-off event. We invited, I mean, it ended up being 60 women. I forget how many we invited, but it ended up being 60 women out in this dry wash in the desert. We rented tables. It was one long sort of table that could have gone on forever was sort of the um, intention. And yeah, and it was, I'm, part of it is that it's, it's, it's about thinking this about this intentional space is something we really like about it and that you know, everyone's invited. Really, everyone is invited. If you're on our mailing list, like, you'll get the invite. It is not selective at all. And, um, and yeah, but it comes with, you do have to, like, sign up and RSVP, and there's usually a prompt you have to answer, and you have to agree to have your con- information, at least sort of your website, published in this directory that becomes part of the event so everyone can find each other afterward in real time and space. And, um, and so, yeah, everyone gets that snail mail before, and there's usually kind of, like, uh, one time it was a necklace or a name tag or something that's handmade that everyone wears. I'm sort of into that. Uh, I feel like that's one part I like about it, sort of this like pseudo cultish. Like, no. You're a member. I feel like I'm like, yeah, yeah. one uh, charismatic leader away from. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I think you, yeah, you know someone who could probably fit into that role. Yeah, <laughs> I might have joined. Um, I, so actually, um, the the intergenerational aspect is something yeah. that I think, I mean, I obviously feel close to that because of all the stuff I just talked about with Easter Borneo, but um, in terms of that impulse, um, 
was that that was part of the that was part of formulating the women's center it was this desire to get that conversation happening between generations or yeah i mean that's not i feel like uh, unfortunately that's not necessarily where we started i feel like it's always been something we valued with the women's center not unfortunately i shouldn't say that that's just where we've gotten to now um that is something we valued with the dinner it was really even from that first one it was pretty intergenerational but um as we've um we launched uh, this year-long laboratory to sort of look into what we'd want a space to be, because um, we're, we're thinking about getting a, a physical space. And, um, you know, what would feminist workspace look like? What does collaborative workspace look like? Um, what do people need? What does our community really want? And what would they use? And what would work? Um, instead of just kind of trying to, like, top down, like, this is what we want. Um, but, yeah, and I, I feel like we can't, you know, of course, pretend we invented any of this, that there's right. like a long history of uh, women's spaces and organizing, and especially in Los Angeles, there's a lot of really interesting ones. And um, so it's something we've always trying to be intentional about is sort of plugging ourselves into that lineage and that history and um, learning what we can from what's happened before. And that was the intention with the Intergenerational Women's Dinner. And we asked people to invite somebody who was either we made, I feel like it was like a, a pretty easy span, a 10 years younger or 10 years older mm -hmm. than them. And when they RSVP'd, they talked a little bit about what they appreciate from relationships that are either with somebody much younger or much older than them. And um, yeah, when it came together, I think we had, I mean, we had a, we had three generations there of one family and the baby was, I think, one or just yeah. two. And then, you know, the oldest person was probably in their 60s or 70s. So, it is, you know, it ended up being this pretty pretty good span overall. And it's a conversation we're always um, trying to have with our advisory committee, with people in the community. With... Right. Yeah. So the thing about space, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's funny because I feel like when I moved here, there were all these feral, I, I mentioned this before, like all these feral institutions that were mm -hmm. sort of at these idiosyncratic spaces but then it kind of seems like we're moving into this more like thing having to do with distribution and so in thinking through but it's funny the but the feminist projects here in LA I mean it was all rooted to like actually having a having a building having totally. a space having a house that you could work with so as you guys envision what this women's center might be if um if you're able to achieve it which I very much hope you will um <laughs> what yeah like have you you guys have been talking about the women's building and woman house and all of these sorts of like like what is what would space mean for the women's center um yeah i mean we've definitely been talking about all of those all of those projects and um you know sheila debretville and judy chicago who were founders of the original women's building are via email on our advisory committee and very um kind of supportive of the project and so it's been nice to check back in and talk about what what worked, what was really great about it, what were the stumbling blocks, because, you know, I don't think we can assume that, you know, just this many years later that we're like in drastically different situations, that it's going to be right. um, a lot different. But we've been doing, uh, Farrell, I like that word, like that, yeah, we've been doing these sort of roving nomadic uh, projects all over the place. And it's really created this sense of community and this like when the gatherings happen, that it, do, it does just like, it's this spark that's really awesome and nice. and. Um, I feel like as much as it's based around kind of high ideals of, of feminist practices and making that like um, there's something about just gathering together that bridges, bridges this alienation I think a lot yeah. of us feel that can be tied back to some of those but like you can definitely make those arguments but it could also you know right. it could also be lots of other things but that it does have this um and I think a space would be somewhere where that could be happening on an ongoing basis like we've been doing whether it's these film series or the dinners and um, that these gatherings can sort of be about something 
very specific or they can just sort of be about coming together and like chance conversations right. and community that's built that way. And I think the dinners are a good example of that because we hear all the time like people who I couldn't or Kate couldn't have even like single-handedly introduced to each other that mm -hmm. um, have met at these dinners and are now working together, working on projects together. And I think that's, we hope it can be very like nourishing and generative in that way that um, it can sort of build from there and people can support each other. Like we can do what we can to support this community and then people can continue out and like support each other on even, an ongoing basis. Even just the, yeah, I mean, even just the act of like gathering physically feels like such an activist thing at this particular totally, time. Totally, totally. I was, um, I, I don't want to, divert it back to us, but yeah. I, I'm editing this piece, um, this conversation about Tony Green, the artist Tony Green, who's mm -hmm. sort of in the Hammer Museum's Biennale right now, and he, he died of AIDS um, many years ago, and now his work's sort of being recovered, but Richard Hawkins was talking about how the response to the AIDS epidemic was so different in terms of the artwork being made on the East Coast as opposed to the West Coast, and he had this great thing he said that was just about like how, you know, like it, in LA, like you, you don't just turn the corner and see like a mass of people that are there to support no. your, you know, it's like, you can't just put the call out and everyone meet in this, you know, in the center. It's like you post a flyer and then you wait a few days and you, you know, it's just a very different type of thing. So even, yeah, even just gathering women together physically to yeah. have conversations. And I hadn't space. thought about that of potentially being that like a potentially even more like an LA specific need, that sort of opportunity to gather because we yeah. don't have that, that very, uh, public space yeah. that maybe you do in other cities but I think as as like amazing as the internet is for like everything and so yeah. many things that like it because there there can often be this false sense of community that right. we feel that like exactly. oh I have 1500 friends or like totally. and, you know whatever everyone talks about that but it's um that yeah that that right. actually coming together in physical space and like making dinner for somebody or helping them build their shelves or like talking about the issues that you know affect your lives on a daily basis yeah. or making especially the issues around yeah. making that can be very generative. So it's it's primarily artists and writers and musicians and Yeah, we say I mean we say creative work, but um like the women's center, they had a they had a travel agent in there, which feels like oh, a really? very funny seventies outdated kind oh, that's of hilarious. Like, thing these days. I didn't know anything <laughs> about that. But yeah, and you're like, Oh, what would what would that be today? But um the idea that like lots of work can be done creatively and that we're not into sort of limiting what that can mean, but by uh circumstance yes it is lots of artists lots of designers because Kate mm -hmm. Johnston is our is our designer and she's really great and she came from CalArts and has a, a pretty strong design community and um, definitely writers musicians but then people who I think are also have other jobs that maybe wouldn't necessarily be considered creative that are finding this as an outlet for sort of community and for making maybe a making practice which I think is also I feel like for women, just like on its base level, somewhat revolutionary that, um, or uh, activist, I guess, that like, especially now there's so much we're like supposed to be consuming and like being consumed in certain right. ways that even just like being like, I'm just going to make this and it doesn't, right. you know, and it doesn't matter and it doesn't need to be consumed or like taken into like a very specific context that it can just be about like coming together and making something together that that right. feels like a powerful in its own right in right. some ways. I'm also, um, the, the Feminist Library on Wheels yeah. project is something that, I mean, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of a no space totally, space, but it comes, totally. to, it comes to you. Could you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, that's actually a good thing to talk about because we, Women's Center for Creative Work is largely Kate, Katie, and I, and so there's definitely like a capacity at which we can like make things happen and, and do projects. And, um, and so wanting to be 
sort of rhizomatic in our power structures, um, we came up with what we're calling nodal projects of the WCCW. And so people have been, now that it's getting going, people are coming to us and they're like, I really want to do a feminist, uh, like classified sort of, or like a feminist like listserv, or I want to make a feminist bicycle on wheels. And, you know, we're like, awesome, that's great. Like, we want that to exist. But I, I physically, like, I, there's some things I just wouldn't even know how to do. And right. there's some things like I just, there isn't the time and energy in the day to, to accomplish all of them. But, um, so the Feminist Library on Wheels is definitely one of our, one of our first and one of our, like, prize, uh, nodal projects so far. They, um, came to us with the idea and we helped with a lot of brainstorming and put it out to our network. And, but they raised $3,000 on their own and built it and threw a fun event. And they're doing another one. It, I'm going to say today, but it's when you listen to this, it won't be today. At, uh, at Other Wild, at the Blessing right. of the Bikes. And um, yeah, they're, you know, they're sort of their own organization that's loosely connected to right. us. And, and yeah. what is it, did you say? What? Oh, it, the Feminist Library on yeah. Wheels is a, it's a library on a bike that um, is all feminist texts. And it's taken largely, I mean, I think there'll be some sort of collecting practice as it moves on, but that um, it's largely taken by donation, and it, so it's the giver's interpretation of, of feminist texts. Awesome. Yeah, so it's sort of like a collective definition. So you also mentioned that, that the Women's Center is doing like a year-long... Um, Laboratory. Lab can, you, can you tell us more about that? I'd, yeah. It sounded like it, you guys had it kind of, there was a structure around it that sounded really interesting. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, so we did that first dinner in the desert, and then after the second dinner, which we did sort of in the shadow, literally, of the women's building in that park um, in Chinatown, downtown, um, there was a lot of energy coming from the people who had been attending those and the people who were sort of watching and even felt internally like, okay, how do we keep this energy alive uh, outside of these dinners? Like, we were doing them once every six months at that point, so it felt very kind of few and far between. Um, and so it felt like there was this the desire from the, the groups who were surrounding us to, to make this into sort of an ongoing thing. And um, we decided, we, we sort of were charging forward and really wanted a building and we're talking about maybe like crowdsource fundraising, but it seemed like a lot of money and I don't know if we had the like network necessary to do it at that point actually. So it, it I think it's turned out to be a good thing to wait. But so we launched a year long laboratory that we were sort of breaking up into four quarters of inquiry and I feel like opportunities have arise that if you know not everything fits precisely into these quarters but as an internal sort of investigation we're we're looking into these things um and the first one was looking at experimental institutional models and there's a lot of great ones in LA to look at and then this next one we've been looking at economies and thinking about how you can create economies around yourself what are experimental economies looking like and um and then we're going to do, the next one is going to be community. And I feel like we're going to try our best to like mellow out and not do as much of our own programming and try to insert ourselves into other sort of community gatherings and try to figure out how other communities are organizing and how they work. And then lastly, um, we're going to talk about space and what that means in kind of a literal, like how do you build a space that would be these things that we want it to be. And hopefully by then we'll have the best idea of what that space should and could be. Yeah. I am. Um, I the okay here's a question sure <laughs> let me try to get it out um i was thinking about the, the sort of need for women to talk to each other mm -hmm. i guess the one question i have in regards to the projects and you said like inserting yourselves into other sort of contexts like is is awareness building in any way a part of it like is it about women talking to each other or is it partly also about 
it reminds me of like Lee Lozano. It's like who refused to talk to women for totally. a project. It's like, is it really about women talking to each other or about like, are you also trying to communicate to others about this sort of practice? I mean, it's kind of a vague question, but maybe something. No, can... and I think, yeah, that there's not, um, I guess, like necessarily a strict sense of either or either not. But um, definitely, I think about women coming together and talking to each other, like internally, is definitely a really important project of WCCW. And I mean, I feel like. I definitely am interested in a feminist perspective, but I don't know if like there's a lot of, I feel like even just gathering people together to talk to right. each other in any sense. And this is something that I feel strongly about and as a way to like organize and practice around it, but that I think any sort of gathering together right. is definitely good. But, um, and I think there is a lot of power in that and just in women talking to each other and sharing insight and resources and all right. of that. But I think as that can create a strong community that feels like confident and supported and excited about certain things that that like, can move out into like a larger right. world, a larger art world, right. a larger whatever, and that that can have, that can resonate, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. I think um, I was partly thinking about it because we're, Easter Borneo isn't a, you know, a feminist identified project, but the Wikipedia series we've been doing, you know, a lot of that has to do with the gender imbalance totally. there and the, the, there are kind of different parts of it. One, one is that there's like an underrepresentation of female artists and topics that are of interest to, I guess women in that sort of I mean sense, yeah, yeah. but um, but the other thing is sort of training more women to edit. That there aren't that many women. And to edit yeah, it, to totally. train more women to edit, and so it's funny because it's a it's a feminist project in that regard, but that is largely about training women to in like to sort of contribute to a sort of wider, like more. Um, the, the practice of sort of inserting your voice into that. Yeah, into something that's yeah. really not where where your voice really isn't heard. And it wasn't so, necessarily right. all that invited. Right, yeah. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Though with, yeah, though with that, I think, yeah, I think it's partly just, just with Wikipedia, they are trying to address it and doing a lot of things to kind of make that happen. But it's, you know, I think there are so many reasons that art practices get overlooked that aren't just about gender, but it's like when you yeah, train totally. women to edit, you're sort of, yeah, contributing in this way that's really about like, yeah, adding voices to a, place where they've been missing. Totally. We were talking a little bit on, we talked to John Bertel on K-Chung yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about, or Kate brought it up, how women often end up in these sort of administrative roles, especially yeah. in the art world, that like we end up like administrating or producing all of this stuff that's going on, and yeah. a lot of it does not end up inherently benefiting like necessarily ourselves right. or other women in certain ways, and so... The idea of sort of like producing these projects and these events that are really directly right. beneficial and like self-supporting in that way. You know what's funny though? I mean, did you, in terms of your background, like, did do you think you partly gravitated toward? Like, I feel like I sort of gradually I was making art, and then I sort of gradually drifted towards something that was really more about providing a, a way for other people to speak as opposed to just having it be focused on me and my voice. Yeah, and totally. Sort of, and I I wonder whether I felt. Because I, I feel like it becomes so complicated, and so like right. there's so many factors in that. But yes, I totally, totally feel that way. And yeah. that there's a point in which I really like didn't make anything more. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna art history. That's what I care about. Like I'm gonna yeah. think about it, and then like, right. and then it, it turns into administration, and then like, yeah, right, so. right. Which it, yeah, I mean, which doesn't have to have a negative connotation, no, but it no. so does. And have it's that necessary gendered. work. I just feel like it's often not as um, also not as valued that no, kind of labor not. that's like absolutely necessary to these things happening. Exactly. Be because it's largely. Right. I think sometimes because it's largely gendered that it right. doesn't necessarily have as much weight. Yeah. Or it's just, you know, not as glossy. Right, exactly. 
Well, and you've you the Women's Center for Creative Work is like one project in a constellation of things you yeah or uh, have been working on for a while. Like uh, the art book review is another, mm-hmm. but there's I feel like there's few other things that you've you been working on too. You do a lot for your art also. I do right, yeah. And I was doing a lot of kind of food related projects oh, right. I guess before, but I feel like that actually has fed into this in a way that being interested in how like making something like that can facilitate different things and like that making the dinners isn't that different at all. Like right. that, that what I was interested in was that because it wasn't just like, I love making food and I love cooking, but like to organize something around it is like something else that's like a different um thing I want obviously yeah. I feel like. but yeah art book review um is something I uh, Andrew Berardini and I started in 2011 I think late 2011 so we're going on our or no 2012 so we're going on our second year and we're working on a little bit of a site redesign which you guys are also like yeah. mid the internet changes so fast I feel like I got I was like looking at the site and I was like it just like it doesn't look yeah. new anymore like uh, yeah I don't know the internet just changes it's like old time internet <laughs> I mean ours yeah our, it's very true ours is less aesthetic and more having to do with just the glut of material we've I mean which is a really good thing like when we started we were speculative but now we've got this like kind of massive repository of like all of this information that it's really hard to navigate and if the whole point is to sort of communicate clearly and totally. to sort of help people to go deeper into something but then they reach this thing that becomes a kind of opaque dead end so a lot of what we're doing is it's kind of designed but mostly in the service of information user. design. yeah like really. user experience and information yeah. Totally. design yeah totally. which is i think like i don't know as an editor it's one of i'm really fascinated by it because it has so much to do with yeah communication well speaking of websites uh we're trying to get better on the people about plugging stuff so oh, yeah. uh, can you guys take a minute to tell people how they can sure. support slash find uh east of borneo and and any project you want to talk about. Sure. I think Sarah's, Sarah's deadline's coming up first. Well, yeah, but I don't think this oh, is we'll going to... This will be way yeah, after that. Be way you have three days left, if right? If you can invent a time oh, right. machine yep, and done. go back. <laughs> you should vote for LA 2050 right. for Women's Center. Um, but you can find us at womenscenterforcreativework.com and you can find the art book review at theartbookreview.org. You guys do, you, you do the book fairs and things like that. We do. We are not doing, Women's Center's not doing New York this year, but um, because we just have another project with Machine Project and the Gamble House, but um, our book review is going to have a program, but our artist books editor, Jay Fischel, will be there and, and facilitating that. And then hopefully we'll be doing, Women's Center did LA last year, and hopefully we'll do LA again this right. year. And these are the printed matter art book yes. fairs. Yes. <laughs> are you guys going to New York? We are, yeah. I'm gonna. Um, we'll be there with a the table. I'm on a panel on the Sunday evening with um, Alex Provan from Triple Canopy and Orit Gott from WDW Review. Awesome. So it's about online publishing within the context of printed matters, largely print-dominated fair. Um, what are the dates on that? Uh, oh. Oh boy. It'll yeah. Be I think it's the twenty-sixth, twenty-seventh, twenty-eighth. Yeah, exactly. September, it's that so last before week. the show. Yeah. 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 The We're really it was, blowing it. Here. You know what? It was great. It was I. Like, <laughs> it was a really amazing panel. <laughs> I, I killed it. Yeah, and we, yeah. Well, we're uh, yeah, we're at eastofborneo.org. Um, you can find us there. I'll and we'll probably be doing stuff in LA next year, and you yeah. can save the date for we'll, that at the yeah. end of January. Yeah, we'll both be there. And uh, we're working on a big campaign right now to raise money for East of Borneo 2.0, that concludes on October 10th, which is probably also before the air date. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, Stacy, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on yeah. the people. Thank you guys very thank much. You. You've been listening to the people on K Chung 1630 AM. Our theme music is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. We're going to go out with a song from the Boston-based band Power Slut. From their album With Great Power Comes Great Slut. You can find more of their music at powerslut.bandcamp.com. And the name of the song is Awkward Situation.